You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We hear God's word this morning in 1 Samuel 1 and 2. We give particular attention to chapter 2, the verses 1 through 10. For the sake of understanding the context of Hannah's song, we will begin our reading in chapter 1. We'll begin our reading then right at the beginning of First Samuel. There was a certain man from Ramathayim, a Zephite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. 
So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Our text begins here. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows. By Him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with the princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails, Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Now we turn to a related passage, the song of Mary in Luke chapter 1. We read the verses 26 through 56. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are probably familiar with the story in John 5 of Jesus healing a paralytic at a pool in Jerusalem on the Sabbath. John tells us in John 5, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus then said to them, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. When I recently cited this passage during a catechism class, one of the teenagers asked me whether people use this particular verse to justify working on Sunday. The Father is always at work. And Jesus, too, is working. Then aren't we allowed to work? Well, that was an excellent question from this catechism student, because indeed people do use this passage for that purpose. 
as we will see, they do this wrongly. One thing is clear from this text, however, and that is that in a sense, God works harder on the day of rest than on any other day. How can we say that? Well, the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, is the day of worship. And God gets a tremendous amount of work done on us when we worship. The worship service has, right, has rightly been called the workshop of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is far from idle when God's people gather for worship on the Lord's Day, as we are doing again today. Oh yes, God is very busy every day. God is at work 24-7. But the Lord's Day, when His people are gathered for worship, is particularly productive for our God. While we're resting, sitting in church, relaxing, listening to the Word, of course, God is getting things done in us and for us. God doesn't want us working on the Lord's Day so that He can work on us. God wants us to do nothing on the Lord's Day in His presence in church, not anywhere else, not on the golf course or, or wherever else we might find relaxing. No, God wants us to do nothing in His presence in worship so that He can do great things for us. The Lord's Day is not a day for us to work. It is a day for us to relax and rest and be worked on by God. We see in 1 Samuel 1 and 2, we see in these two chapters the account of Hannah and the birth of Samuel that it is typical of God to begin with nothing. It is typical of God to make our total inability His starting point. It is typical of God to make our inactivity His starting point. It is typical of God to get the most done through us when we are on our knees, helpless before Him, as Hannah was. That's what God did with Hannah. Our first point this morning, because that's just what God does, as we hope to see in our second point, and that's what He will keep on doing, to use the words of Jesus, to this very day, as we will see in our third point. Hannah is the favored one. That's what her name means. Favored one. And she rejoices in the Lord for what He has done. Some four years earlier, as we read in First Samuel, as we read in First Samuel one, Hannah had been there at the tabernacle in Shiloh, worshiping. There was Hannah, helpless on her knees. 
There was Hannah, full of bitterness and grief because of her barrenness. Sad. Because she had no children. There Hannah was, pleading with God for a son in the house of worship. Now she she was here again at the tabernacle in Shiloh. Four years later, she was again worshiping. She was again on her knees, praying. But this time, not in the bitterness of her heart, but in the joy of her soul. Her weeping had turned into a song. Her mourning had changed into dancing. God had granted her request. He had come to the help of His helpless servant. Hannah's horn is lifted high. That means that God has made her strong. Look what she says in verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. It means that God has made her strong. Her mouth boasts. Her mouth boasts over her enemies. As she says, in the second part of verse 1. Literally, her mouth, literally it says there in the Hebrew, her mouth is enlarged over her enemies. There's a double entendre here. It means, in the first place, she can now smile in the presence of her enemies. Remember, like David could eat at the table of God in the presence of his enemies, as we read in Psalm 23. So, Her mouth is enlarged over her enemies in a smile. And in the second place, her mouth is enlarged over her enemies because she has, in a sense, swallowed her enemies. Because the Lord has delivered her from her enemies by answering her prayer. Notice that Hannah, in her prayer, focuses on the giver rather than the gift. She really confesses what James will write in his letter some centuries later. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Look at what she says in verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. You see that, brothers and sisters, in the turmoil and in the shifting sands of her life, in her unfulfilled dreams and desires for children, Hannah has found a sure foundation in her God. She's found firm ground in Him. And she's found that firm ground in worship. She's found that solid ground on her knees. She's found that solid ground in the sanctuary of the Holy God in worship. On God, the solid rock, she stands. All other ground is sinking sand. Brothers and sisters, Sometimes we may feel like everything in life is in flux. 
And it's hard to find solid ground. Well, the best place for us to find solid ground in those shaky, uncertain periods in our life is in worship. It's on our knees. It's before the throne of God where the ground is always solid as a rock. Find your solid ground in God, brothers and sisters. Find it in worship. The favored one rejoices in the Lord for what he has done because that's what he does. What he has done is characteristic of him. That's that's just what God does. That's what God is in the habit of doing. That's what God is like. What Yahweh has done in our memory and, and in our experience, Yahweh characteristically does. It's as if Hannah is saying, everything that God has done for me is not all that surprising because that's the way God is. Hannah means favored one, like I mentioned. And in that sense, Hannah is a picture of Israel. The nation Israel was the favored nation, the favored one of God, the favored people of God. What God has done for Hannah, his favored one, he's done for Israel, his favored one, because that's what he does. What, has, what God has done for Hannah and Israel, his favored one, he now does for his church, his favored one, his bride. You remember how Mary, too, was called the favored one, as we read in Luke 1. When Gabriel appeared to her to tell her about the child Jesus she would bear, he said, he said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Just as Hannah, as favored one, is a picture of Israel, so Mary, as favored one, is a picture of the church. Mary's song, which we sing this morning, becomes the church's song. Just as Hannah's song became Israel's song. Now notice that in her song, Hannah doesn't bother mentioning the names of her enemies. She could have meant, and she could have even mentioned Peninnah, Elkanah's other wife who had mercilessly provoked her and driven her to tears year after year. Or she could have mentioned the Philistines, those mighty enemies of Israel. But you see, that's not the thing right now. The thing that makes Hannah so happy right now is that God has granted her deliverance because that's just what He does. We could summarize this whole section from the verses 3 through 8 in this way. God turns losers into winners and winners into losers. God makes the the strong weak and the weak strong. 
That's the sort of thing we read about in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, the verses 32 and following. There we read, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. So Hannah warns the proud. He says in verse 3, Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by Him deeds are weighed. In other words, you can talk big, but the holy and all-knowing God will judge all your words and deeds, even the hidden ones. This is surely something that needs to be heard today, too. When people of influence and power, the high and mighty, claim heaven and earth in their pride and arrogance, Didn't we see that again this past week in the events that unfolded at the Assembly of the United Nations? Mighty men claiming heaven and earth. It's a warning to those who have the audacity to suggest with us as you've probably heard and read about that there probably is no God Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. That's the fool's creed. And it's not just foolish, it is arrogant and proud, high and mighty in the extreme. There is a God. Let all the earth tremble before Him. Let all the earth worship Him. Because of the holy and almighty God, the Lord of hosts, look at what Hannah says in verse 4. The bows of the warriors are broken, literally. The bows of the warriors are are shattered into tiny bits. That's what it says in the Hebrews. in, In the Hebrew. The bows of the warriors are shattered into tiny bits. We can just see those arrows falling apart and flying all over the place. Hannah carries on there in verse 4, but those who stumbled, the klutzes, we might call them, are armed with strength. You know, brothers and sisters, that's what happens when we are wearing the shield of faith that Paul tells us to put on in Ephesians 6. When the fiery arrows of the evil one are fired at us, then God shatters them into tiny bits with the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness that He has given us to wear. You can see, when you put on the the shield of faith, you can see, as it were, 
the arrows of the evil one being shattered into tiny bits and flying all over the place. They can't do anything to you when you are wearing the shield of faith, those fiery arrows of the evil one. Brothers and sisters, as clumsy as you may feel in your spiritual battle, we all do at times, I hope, remember that with God, those who stumble are armed with strength. If you feel like a klutz in your battle with Satan, that's a good thing because you can be sure that when you turn to God, He will arm you with strength. When you put on the armor that He gives you, you will be strong. He'll turn your clumsiness into courage. He'll turn your fear into strength. In the following chapters of 1 Samuel, we read how Eli and his sons were making themselves fat on the food that others were bringing for God. As a judgment, they will soon be hiring themselves out for food, begging for a job, since God is going to unemploy them for their wickedness and greed. He's going to fire them from their service in the temple. But Hannah's fasting has turned to feasting. Look what we read in verse 5a. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. That's what Eli's sons will be doing soon. But those who were hungry, hunger no more. Hannah is feasting now. Before she fasted, but now she's feasting. You know how Mary cites these words in her song too. She says, He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. God has turned our fasting into feasting. God feeds us with the Word, the bread of life. Our God feeds us us with Christ, the bread of life, when we gather for the Lord's Supper. As we relax and eat At the Lord's Supper, the Lord our God feeds us with Himself. While we do nothing but sit there and receive the bread and the wine from the hand of the minister, God does a mighty work in us, uniting us with Himself, feeding us on Himself. Before Hannah fasted and prayed while everyone else was feasting, even though Elkanah had given her a double portion of what he gave everyone else. And now she will feast, even if she will have many mouths to feed and many children to take care of. Like she says in verse 5b, she who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. That is surely a reference to Penina, who would now be pining in jealousy. Hannah will soon become the mother of more children. As we know from 1 Samuel 2, verse 21, 
Hannah's closed and barren womb suddenly brings forth life, new life. Just as from the sealed grave, Jesus arises from the dead triumphantly. You see, there's resurrection hope here in our text. Look at verse 6. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and He raises up. The dead womb is made alive. The closed womb is opened. Jesus lives and so does His favored one, the church. Jesus lives, brothers and sisters, and so do you when you trust and believe in Him. When we think there is no hope and all the odds are against us, let us remember how Jesus, with all the odds against Him, arose from the dead after three days. He did what even the disciples, His closest followers, thought was impossible. Indeed, as we read, nothing is impossible with God. What else does the Lord do? Look at verse 7. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and He exalts. The priestly house of Eli will lose their dignity and will be cast down in favor of a priest who will share the Lord's blessings, the Lord's bread. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be fired. And Samuel, who will share the bread of God with the people of Israel, who will give them the bread of life as he proclaims the word, he will be hired. The insignificant shepherd boy David will become king. The downtrodden nation of Israel, pummeled as they are now by the Philistines, will become a strong nation who will beat the Philistines back. Also, verse 8, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with the princes and, and has them inherit a throne of honor. These words, together with the ones of verse 5, make up part of Psalm 113. Hannah is rejoicing here about the reversal of the curse. You remember the curse that God had placed on humanity at the fall. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. Like Abraham confessed before God, you and I too must confess, I am only dust and ashes. That is who we are, brothers and sisters, only dust and ashes. We are from the dust and to the dust we shall return. But in Christ we are raised from the dust. The curse of sin is reversed for Christ has returned to the dust for us. He was buried in the dust. Our Lord Jesus Christ returned to the dust, but on the third day, He arose from the dust 
and now sits at the right hand of God. And as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? In the Lord Jesus Christ, we aren't just seated with princes. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we are seated with the King of kings and the Lord of lords Himself. This is what God has promised us in holy baptism. Remember what the form for baptism says. When we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises us that He washes us in His blood from all our sins and unites us with Him in His death and resurrection. Thus, we are freed from our sins and accounted righteous before God. God confirms to us in baptism that the curse of sin has been reversed for us and for our children. We've been raised from the dust and we've been seated with the King of Kings. Did you hear that, children? Your baptism means that God has reserved a place for you in His kingdom. You've been raised from the dust. Did you hear that, elderly brothers and sisters? As you become older, the reality of your own death becomes more and more inescapable. Your body begins to break down. Disease and sickness takes hold much more easily and sometimes doesn't even let go. And one day you too will face death. Then remember that Hannah's song and Mary's song is also your song. It's the song of life. It's the song that God has given you to sing. Your death will be your promotion to the heavenly kingdom where you will be seated with Christ. And God will not abandon your body to the grave, but will raise your body up again at the last day. He'll give you a new body. He'll give you a glorious body. A body that is freed from MS, that is freed from heart failure, from cancer, from chronic pain, diabetes, paralysis, you name it. God will raise you up. Isn't that a comfort to us, brothers and sisters, and all the struggles that we have in our life and all the reminders that we have that we are human, that our, our bodies are, are vulnerable to sickness and disease and disability and weakness and faltering, even among those of us who are younger, we will be raised up in Christ. We are raised up from the dust. Yes, this is what God did for Hannah. Because this is what God is in the business of doing. This is what He's like. And this is what He will keep on doing. Through Samuel, 
God was going to usher in a new era of hist- of the, in the history of redemption, the era when David would be king. That's what most of First and Second Samuel is about. The kingship of David. And you know, brothers and sisters, if you know your Scriptures, you know that David's kingship also represents a new era in Israel's worship. With the enthronement of David, there will be an unstoppable reformation from tabernacle worship to temple worship. You remember how David was so eager to have the temple of the Lord built. The tent of God at Shiloh was in rough shape and needed to be replaced with a more permanent structure. And it would be under King David's leadership and direction that this would happen. Hannah sings in verse 8 about the foundations of the earth. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon Him He has set the world. That could also be translated the pillars of the earth. Pillars. What other events come to mind when you hear that word? Pillars. What other events in the Bible? Well, you remember how Samson on one occasion lifted the pillars of the gates of the, of the Philistine city, Gaza. Here's a story that boys love. We're told in Judges 16 that that Samson, that big, strong man, he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts, and he tore them loose, bars and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Can you imagine that? You know how on another occasion... Samson brought down the temple of Dagon by grabbing hold of its two central pillars. This is the story, the well-known story among the people of Israel that Hannah is certainly referring to. The pillars of the Philistines were not too strong for God to break through through His servant Samuel. God breaks down the pillars of the Philistines and replaces them with His faithful poor. It's like Jesus says in Revelation 3, verse 12, He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Those who follow Jesus will stand. He will guard their feet making them into strong pillars. Look at verse 9. He will guard the feet of His saints. Remember this when you feel like you're being knocked around or when the church is being knocked around. Remember this, brothers and sisters. God will guard your feet. He will make you into a strong immovable pillar. He will make you stand. But the wicked will be silenced in darkness, says in the second part of verse 9. Those who talk so high and mighty against God, claiming heaven and earth for themselves, 
will be silenced. Those who made their grand speeches before the world will have their mouths shut. Those who buy into the fool's creed, there is no God, or even there probably is no God, will one day have their ads removed forever. They will be silenced forever. So don't be intimidated. Like Hannah says at the end of our text, it is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed one. Notice how Hannah's song both begins and ends with horns. Now what do these horns signify? Well, you know how a powerful animal raises its horns in victory. Horns are a sign of victory and strength. But in verse 10, there's a sort of a pun on the word horn. You see, animal horns were used for anointing. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 16. The person who did the anointing would fill an animal's horn with oil and he would empty it out on the head of the person being anointed as prophet, priest, or king. And that the oil that came out of that horn would cover the anointed's whole body, indicating that he was now all the Lord's. And it also indicated that he would find strength like that of a horn in the Lord for his task. The king of which Hannah is prophesying is King David. For King David will not only prove to be a strong king, he will also prove to be God's anointed one. He's the one whose descendant will become a prophet, priest, and king forever. Hannah's song, then, is not only a prophecy of the kingship of David, it's a prophecy of the coming of the great son of David, Jesus the Christ, the Anointed One. There's something else about horns, though. You remember how the altar had horns at each corner. So horns also make us think of worship. So when Hannah says that the king's horn will be exalted, she may also be alluding to how the king's horn will be exalted through worship. Through David's kingship. God is going to bring about a great renewal, a great worship renewal, a revolution, we might say, of Israel's worship. David will plan the building of the temple. David will bring the ark to Jerusalem in a glorious procession. David will train musicians and singers to lead God's people in skillful music and song on a variety of instruments and with beautiful songs. How much richer we are then. David planned the temple of God, a temple of stone, But Jesus is 
the temple. David led the procession of God's people into a new and glorious era of worship that is filled with music, rich with instruments and song, of a glorious variety. But Jesus brings us into the heavenly worship service where we can join angels and archangels singing and making music before Him who sits on the throne and before the Lamb. Yes, brothers and sisters, that's what Jesus is doing right now as we worship Him. We're resting. We're sitting here. We're relaxing. And He's working. In us. On us. And for us, His favored ones. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.